to a sister store in Lake Isabella. And I would drop clothes off at Lake Isabella and pick clothes up from there and bring them back to Ridgecrest because the Ridgecrest store was the only one that had the dry cleaning machines. And I made these trips once a week, sometimes twice a week. And my boss decided that it would be a good idea to let me have her cell phone when I went on these trips just in case I was delayed. For whatever reason, I could call the Ridgecrest store and let them know what was happening. Like I said, this is close to 15 years ago. Not everyone had a cell phone back then. It's hard to imagine, but those days did actually exist, so I didn't have a phone. And she let me use hers, and she had one of these, it was kind of bulky, black cell phones with the shield that actually completely detached, came all the way off. And one morning I had finished loading up the truck with all the clothes, and I had forgotten the keys. I think it was the keys to the truck were still inside the building. And so I took the cell phone, and I set it down between the windshield and the hood in that little valley where the windshield wipers live. And I went back into the building and I got the keys for the truck. And then I came back out and immediately, immediately got into the truck and started driving. And some of you can probably see where this is going. I reach Inyo Kern Road and I'm driving out to Inyo Kern. And... All of a sudden, I see this big black object hit the windshield and ricochet off into the road. Now, here's what's impressive about this. I was surprised by what happened, but I did not know what that was. <laughs> yeah, I, was a, I was not a good hire. <laughs> uh, that might still be true, but... <laughs> I just kept driving. I was thinking, wow, I, you know, I just hit and killed the next step in evolution for bugs or whatever that was. And I just kept on going to Isabella and I stopped thinking about it until I actually reached the store and I'm unloading the clothes and I'm looking for the cell phone at this point and I'm wondering why isn't it, I usually set it in the passenger seat next to me, why isn't it there? And as I'm thinking about this, before my mind's eye comes this scene from my not-too-distant past and this big black object hitting the windshield, and I finally put two and two together, and I'm just feeling very, very nervous, and I'm not sure what I want to do. I mean, I'm there at Lake Isabella. I can call the Ridgecrest cleaners and tell them what happened and just take my medicine then, but I thought to myself, I really, if I can avoid doing that, I really don't want to do that. And my one ray of hope was that I knew, I knew I was on Inyo Kern Road. And I just thought, when I'm coming back into town, I'm just going to eagle-eye it, and I'm going to find this phone on Inyo Kern Road, which, by the way, is a long stretch of road. I was naive and ignorant. And I might still be, but back then, so much so that I was optimistic enough to think that I'd be able to find it. And so I hit Inyo Kern Road and I start looking for this phone and immediately I'm getting very discouraged because I had no idea how hard it was going to be. But it literally was like trying to find a needle in a haystack because 
every piece of black detritus or debris or tire on the side of the road looks just like the phone. And even though I'm driving slowly and I'm looking for it, I'm just thinking, there's no way this is going to happen. And I'm praying, God, help me find this phone. And just as I'm about to give up, I pass a left turn arrow and I see a little black object resting on that turn arrow. And at first I just drive by it because I thought it just looks like every other piece of junk I'm driving by. But something or someone made me stop and go back. And so I thought, well, this is it. I'm just going to pull the truck over. I'm going to turn it around and look at it. And then if this is not it, I'm just going to go to the cleaners and tell them what happened. And sure enough, it was the shield of that phone that had landed on that arrow. And even more interestingly enough, it hardly had a scratch on it. Didn't it not look like a phone that had been thrown from a vehicle that was moving 60, 70 miles an hour? And I found the phone on the dirt divider, not far from where the shield was. And again, the phone hardly had a scratch on it. So I picked it up, and I want to tell you, I was the happiest person driving back home that evening. I mean, I know that this doesn't rank with Jesus turning water into wine at Cana or feeding a multitude of people with just a few loaves of bread. But I was in one of those moods that was like, God, I will never, ever doubt you again. Like, you came through for me big on this one. I can't believe. I consider it to be a miraculous answer to prayer still to this day. I mean, you can try the experiment for yourself if you don't believe me. It was a miracle that I found that phone. And when I think of that story, it reminds me of something that Jesus once said to his disciples. He said, ask and it will be given unto you. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Seek and you will find. Now, when it comes to petitionary prayer, which is basically what we're talking about this morning, one object, objection that people sometimes raise is, why should we have to do it at all? If God is a loving God and God is an all-knowing God, why doesn't he just meet our needs? And of course, there are many, many people in the world that would probably say they don't need the assistance of a divine, supreme, personal being to get through life. They don't pray. Atheists and agnostics and non-believers, some of whom I have a great deal of respect for, get up in the morning, they eat breakfast, they go to work, they come home, and they don't give God or prayer a second thought, right? And it's not as if they just drop from off the face of the earth because they're not asking for God to provide. But in my situation, even though I was raised in the church, the truth is I was the same in many respects. I mean, I went to Sunday school and I memorized Bible verses and I prayed at the table before I ate, right? But I didn't pray that much at all as a teenager. I don't think that I prayed very much at all. And perhaps the only thing that separates me from some of the other non-believers is... 
every once in a while I would get in these situations like I just described, where I recognized that the resources I had were not enough to meet the problem that I was facing. And when I was in those situations, I would pray. Because it really mattered to me at that point whether or not there was someone listening to me. And looking back on it now, I see that those trials that God brought into my life were a real mercy. Because without them, I might have forgotten about them altogether. And there's an interesting book my little girl has in her library. I'm sure many of you have heard of it. Probably many of you have read it. It's called The Giving Tree. And it's a very simple story about a little boy and a tree. And the tree invites the boy and says, Boy, come play with me. Come swing on my branches. Come sleep in my shade. And the boy does. And they're both really happy. But eventually the boy grows up. He gets older. He comes and meets the tree one day. The tree invites him, says, boy, come swing on my branches, rest in my shade. And the boy is not interested anymore. He says, I want money. That's what I'm interested in now. Do you have any money? The tree tells him, no, but I've got apples. You can take all my apples and you can sell them for money. And so the boy scrambles up, the teenager at this point, scrambles up, takes all the apples without a thank you or anything, and then just takes off doesn't come back for years and years until he's adult. Again, the tree invites him, come play. The boy doesn't want to play, he wants a house. And so the tree says, well, you can take my branches and build a house. And he saws off all the tree's branches, immediately leaves without saying thank you or anything, goes off, builds a house, comebacks later. Now he wants a boat. <laughs> so he cuts down what's left of the tree. Now all that's left is a stump. And he goes and he makes his boat. And then finally he comes back as a very aged man and all he wants is a place to sit. And so at last him and the tree are reunited and he sits down on the stump and both of them are happy. And I, I do think there's something lacking in that story. I wouldn't necessarily call it a Christian story because we never see anything like repentance on the side of the boy. And I think it would need to be there for the story to be complete. But what I like about it is that I do think it illustrates the elusive nature of lasting happiness, that problem that we have. We all of us have ideas of what is going to bring permanent joy and permanent peace into our lives, right? Just like the boy from the story. But how are we going about seeking that peace and that joy. In Luke chapter 11, beginning with verse 5, Jesus speaks these words to his disciples concerning the perseverance of prayer. This is Luke chapter 11, verse 5. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, 
and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence and persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And it's extraordinary to me the lengths that Jesus goes to to encourage His disciples to pray. First, he gives them this very interesting parable about the midnight friend who shows up with this request. Can I have three loaves of bread? And according to the parable, he's finally granted his request, but not for the sake of friendship. It's because of his shamelessness and his persistence. It's almost like Jesus is saying it's because he just made a nuisance of himself. And so his friend finally collapsed and said, here, take it. Go away. And the suggestion is, if the friend who was unwilling finally granted the request of his friend, how much more then will God, who is willing, grant our request? And then he goes on to another example, which to me is even more interesting. And he asks the question, what father among you, if your child was hungry for an egg, would give that child a scorpion. I mean, the, the proposition is just absurd. You almost feel ashamed to recall that a rhetorical question. I mean, would it ever enter a father's mind if I thought my little girl wanted yogurt to put a snake on her feeding tray? And it begs the question, Jesus, why did you say that? Why didn't you just say to the disciples... Pray for the Holy Spirit and let that be the end of it. And I think the answer is because Jesus knows our experience. And he knows that sometimes when we ask God for bread, it seems like God gives us a stone. He knows that because we are oppressed by appearances, oftentimes we feel like God has either given us bad gifts or he's neglected us altogether. And so he encourages disciples saying that might be what it looks like. But you know, you know that can't be the truth. You are evil and yet you know how to give your children good gifts. And you must know that your father who is good. Knows how to give you. His Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit is not some vague, impersonal, vaporous, spiritual force. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is the third person in the Trinity. 
And what that means is Jesus is saying that it is God's good pleasure to give us himself. Because that's what we need. Now, at this point, it's very important that we be realistic. Because those of us who are raised in the church, we know our catechism, so to speak. We know the answer to the question, what do you need most? We know we're supposed to answer God. But, in our experience, is God our first perceived need? And I would answer, no, he is not. And do we naturally and automatically hunger and thirst after God? And I would say, no, we do not. And it's very important that we don't try to force ourselves to feel what we know we don't feel, or what would be worse, deceive ourselves into believing something that we do not believe. A non-Christian friend of mine once said that he thought Jesus was cool, but he thought Satan had more fun. And he was just being honest. And I think honesty is very important because I think without honesty, spiritual development is impossible. We have to be honest with ourselves. But that being the case... So long as we sincerely bring our requests to God without being double-minded, we bring our requests to God by faith, we do well to listen to Jesus when he says, ask, knock, seek. Even if we realize, even if we're consciously aware that we are more hungry for what God can give than God himself. Even if we feel that our requests are just petty and irrelevant and close to being worthless. Jesus says, keep asking, keep seeking, bring those requests to God. One of the greatest Christian teachers I've ever known once said, anything large enough for a wish to light upon is large enough to hang a prayer upon. And the reason he said that, and this is the key thing that I'm trying to convey to you this morning, is this. He understood that our wants are for the sake of bringing us to communion with God, who is our eternal need. And when we see prayer in that light, we begin to realize that all prayer whether our requests are granted or not, is successful because all prayer brings us into communion with God. Whether we recognize that as our greatest need or not, that is our greatest need. And the point is, Jesus says, God will give you His Holy Spirit. He will wake up in you the deepest which recognizes its need for God. We will grow into that place to where we actually realize and not say verbally that to talk with God is more than to have all prayers answered. That the purpose of our life is to glorify him and enjoy him forever. And so that's what Jesus left with his disciples and what I'm leaving with you this morning. Is there anybody here who, if you were resolved to speak openly, would stand up and say there's nothing that troubles you, would say that there's nothing that you're anxious about, 
Who of you would say that there's nothing about your life you would change? Then that means you've got requests. What are you doing? Are you asking? Are you knocking? Are you seeking? Because if you do, Jesus says it's God's good pleasure to give you his Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Holy Father in heaven, we thank you for the encouragement you've given to us to pray to you. We thank you for the grace you've given us to pray to you and to make our requests known to you. That we don't have to have the purest motives before we can come to you. We pray that you would give us your Holy Spirit and give us a mind to think your thoughts. That we would not be oppressed by the appearances of evil in our life, Lord, but that we would look behind them to you, that we would trust in you as our Father, and that we would have a blessed and joyous day. In Jesus' name, amen.